right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, the week is finally here. Uh, the first of many preview podcasts, undoubtedly, that will come out this week. Our 18th preview podcast of the 2023 Ryder Cup, I'm sure. Solly here joining me from the No Laying Upside. Mr. DJ Pie. Hello, Pie Man. Hello, Solly. Happy to be with you, my man. Happy. Uh, I know how much the Ryder Cup means to you. It's, it's just I'm buzzing. I can't wait to can't wait to get over there. Can't wait to be. I'm happy to be back on the pod. It's been a minute. I, it has like been a been, while. I feel like I've been the one on paternity leave. here. Uh, I've just been playing golf, hanging out. Just it's been great over here on this side. Me, TC, Jamie Weir and Kyle Porter have been kind of hogging the ball a little bit on the uh, on the Ryder Cup preview front. But uh, the rest of the uh, the Solheim gang is in transit today. So there will be no uh, TC pro European takes here. So we brought in another resident American to make sure we can make this as biased as we possibly can uh, from Golf Digest and an author and for many other things, Mr. Shane Ryan, Ryder Cup aficionado, if I may say. The only person I can think of that matches like the outsized appreciation for this event compared to the rest of golf like I have. But Shane, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm great, man. When I signed in on StreamYard, it said Shane, parentheses, American. <laughs> so that's, I don't know why it defaulted to that, but I am so ready to go. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm, I'm very excited in Italy on, you know, boots on the ground for you guys. So completely ready for this. We're recording this on Monday of uh, Ryder Cup week. DJ and I are flying out tomorrow, so we are not there yet. Again, I think we did this backwards, DJ. I think we arrived too early to Wisconsin and way too late uh, to Italy. I think we could have probably flipped that if we could have done that over again. But listen, I think it's going to be a very quality week. I can't, I, I got to say, Cody has completely unseated me as the king of transitions on this. But if you may, uh, just like the quality week we're about to have, you guys know Roback. They understand quality. Only one way to describe them. Best fit best feel just like the American Ryder Cuppers are going for the best fit for the golf course, which may have flipped a little bit today with some news that we had come in. That's a whole other thing to talk about. We I could know. get to that, but their performance polos, they just hit different. Again, this is rowback, not the United States performance polos, uh, whether it's USA theme designs just in time for the Ryder Cup, classic stars and stripes models. They got four way stretch moisture wicking fabric. They will get you through a warm summer day on the course, the performance hoodies. I was hoping to be uh, more hoodie weather out there. Shane, you could probably weigh on this i'm guessing it's a little warm a little toasty as we're seeing in the forecast here but they are the stretchiest softest hoodies in golf i am wearing them daily like i have been all year round even though it is still very much summer here in florida lastly the q-zips i think we're going to be able to get away with these at night from what i can see uh over in rome nothing beats rocking a rowback q-zip for a night on the town or an early round of golf cannot go anywhere without spying the subtle dog logo or the two-stripe ridge on the back you can use code nlu at rowback.com for a generous 20 percent off your first order through the end of this week that's r-h-o-b ck.com 20% off polos q-zips hoodies and more with code nlu also worth mentioning real quick a lot of roback stuff in the shop as well yes. in the in the nlu shop so please uh, go check that Store. out store.nolayingup.com shane did you go to the golf course today over in rome have you been out there yet i did yes i went to the golf course uh, i took a picture of the driving range and described it on twitter as the first hole and said that the euros were sticking yardage signs out <laughs> 
to confuse the Americans. About 20% of my Twitter followers got what I was doing. But yeah, I was there. It looks nice. You know, I it was a really, really quick trip today, but it was it was fun. You know, it's I don't want to say that the the people who have only seen pictures of Marco Simone online who have now seen it in person. I don't think they're effusive necessarily about the course, but but yeah, people are like, I think it's gonna make a good Ryder Cup venue. And the second nine, I think, is getting better reviews than the first nine. Like there's gonna be if nothing else, some really good match play holes uh, coming down the stretch. I think of all the golf courses out there, it is definitely one of them. It is. Definitely. You can't deny that. Yes. <laughs> Anybody who sees it will go, this is a golf course. One, two things in relation to that. Shane, I think you are you are the only one doing Twitter right. Like you're the only one that the only way to do it now is just like be as sarcastic as possible and just laugh when people don't get it. I, I hate how serious I take myself on it. I, I'm envious of the way you approach it. One. And two, this little flip that I referred to was uh, some pictures we received today, some maybe a little bit of reports from on the ground. Seems like the waist high stuff that I spent an inordinate amount of my time, my visit there in May, stumbling around in, uh, like still recovering from the rashes on my legs, uh, may or may not have been shaved down. It looks like it certainly has been on at least a couple of the holes, which, you know, that was, if I may say, just one of my beefs with the golf course. I think, you know, we strip out this waist high rough. Now you just... Now we now we can just focus on how bad the layout is, uh, but at least <laughs> at least we've seemed to progress from uh, potential lost ball. I know there's spotters out there, but potential lost lost balls uh, five yards uh, off the fairway. And I'm I'm wondering if this is a bit of a rope a dope from Team Europe. I, U.S. has showed up with their team. There's no adjusting this team, and I'm I'm wondering how much this was built into the models. I'm guessing it was. I'm guessing this isn't that much of a surprise, but I'm at least a little surprised. I do love the idea of them shaving down the rough and going, oh, no, they're talking about the golf course. Grow the rough back up. <laughs> Grow the rough quickly. Um, no, yeah, I think, you know, it was funny because Zach Johnson was asked today, they're like, you know, who do you think, the, you know, the rough is going to be high? Who do you think that benefits? And he had this very naked moment of going, I don't know. <laughs> and it goes back to that thing of like, you know, okay, yes, they have like the their data analytics people are very smart. And they drill these things down to like, you know, by the meter, right? By the foot, by the inch. And so obviously they're doing something that they know, but you're like, well, you know, at the same time, all of these golfers can hit the ball straight, right? There's, you're going on tendencies that are so granular and so fine that you're like in the course of a three day event. Oh, well, we, you know, we decided on this part of the fairway to narrow it by five feet. Does that actually make a difference or does it not? And we always go back to the standard of Paris where, America came in, the task force had done a good job. They, you know, kicked ass at Hazeltine and they, every, a lot of people thought like they're going to come in and kick butt at Paris and they got absolutely demolished. And the big story was like the course, right? The course is a big part of this and whatever, you know, there's all these things about like Thomas Bjorn, you know, even moved the gallery back because he knew exactly where the Americans were going to hit it in the rough. And he didn't want the gallery to be there because they would have trampled the grass down. And, and instead he moved them back five feet and that meant they were hitting from really thick grass so you're like, wow, that's genius. It's unbelievable genius. And part of me, I do like the course setup stuff. So I, I kind of am a sucker for it. <laughs> so I, I kind of go in on that. But I think maybe this week I'm coming around to, I don't know if it's rope-a-dope. I don't know what it is, but I think there is a little bit of over-analysis we can do about the course setup and how much advantage it gives the home team. Particularly, and I keep coming back to this, particularly when the fact that you have 50,000 per day screaming people rooting on your team is the ultimate in home field advantage in any sport, but particularly in a game where people are not used to this, where most games are not partisan. There are no home games. Like the advantage of having a home crowd is so unbelievable that I think it almost leads us to 
somehow underrate it and go like, oh my, the genius of the Europeans on hole 15, they they cut the rough back by three feet, but grew it to 10 feet, you know, within five to seven feet of the fairway. Like you can go too far in that stuff. So I don't think it's rope a dope. I don't think the Americans are thinking about it that much. You know, it's the same thing with pairings, right? There's a story where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, not at Wentworth, but whatever tournament was before that on the European tour, there was a question of like, oh, does this practice group and the way you set the European pairings, does that mean something that, you know, they might play together at the Ryder Cup? And Luke Donald was like, yeah, maybe. And apparently there were some European tour staffers going like, like, don't, don't ask that question. But who cares if you know the pairings, right? Like, who cares if you broadcast your four pairings to the other team, but didn't tell them the order? That doesn't matter, right? Like the Europeans probably right know right now who the first four pairings of the Americans are going to be, but they don't know the order. And it's just this whole like system of things where, again, I'm one of the classic overanalyzers, but I think a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. And I think a lot of this stuff, okay, maybe it doesn't matter as a touch too far. We can really go too far with overstating how much it matters. And I think maybe that's what we're seeing with the core stuff today. God, you just gave me so much to react to there. I, I, I love it. I, I love it. I love it. Like some, you know, TC shows up for these things. It's like, I don't know, man, Europe's going to kick ass. And I'm like, no, I want to, I want to talk about this shit right here. So if you look at the profile for 2023 Europe and 2023 U.S. teams, they're very similar in terms of how far they hit the ball and their accuracy rates, right? If you're just blending them all. Now, you could kind of, I'm guessing they're going to weight that a little bit differently. Nikolai Hoygaard raises the driving distance and lowers the driving accuracy rating for Europe. But if he plays one team match or two team matches, then, you know, that, that gets weighted a little bit differently. But the profiles are very similar. And 2018 was not the case. The same way that Marco Simone is a different profile than Le Golf National, which was Le Golf National was driving accuracy premium. And right. Right, right. This is not necessarily forecasted to be the same premium. Even with narrow fairways, that doesn't mean the premium on accuracy is, uh, you know, if, if there is still a, a emphasis on driving distance, which there was almost none of at Le Golf National, there's a blend of those things. And, and, and it kind of it makes more sense why the rough would be shaved down some based on the fact that like, hey, it's not like Europe has an enormous accuracy advantage with this particular team that they set out. And so it doesn't really make sense to have. I mean, Henrik Stenson went out to hit these, these particular tee shots in foursomes at Le Golf National. And they played the U.S. like a fiddle. I mean, they right. sent out right, Phil right, right. Mickelson and Bryson to go hit the same exact tee shots. And they just totally worked them. And I don't know. Neither of which was called this week, by the way. <laughs> we'll get to <laughs> I don't think you need to do that this go around. Right. And so it, it, again, it doesn't make sense. I will say like the actual rough that's just off the fairway still is so incredibly uh, lush and thick. I'm guessing even in September, the ball just finds the bottom of it. and DJ, I hope and you can help me attest to this. I've been saying this for a few months. It's like not golf grass. Like the blades of grass are really wide. And it's like somebody hit it in my yard in the, the St. Augustine grass. And it's really, really hard to hit golf shots out of still too perched up greens elevated with runoffs on all sides. I still just can't really in my own head figure out how that's going to play and how much that the driving accuracy thing is going to going to be of emphasis. So I think that that speaks to where I think I'm at with the core setup stuff, because Shane, I, I totally agree with you in that. I think it's really freaking fun to talk about and it's really fun to analyze. And it's kind of, especially in a contest that's only played every two years, like, you know, that, that's all we've talked about. And it's, I, I regret nothing. It's very fun. <laughs> But uh, I, I think the there's just so many like weird holdover 1980s cliches about, you know, oh, these Europeans, man, they just drive it so straight. And these big 
dumb, ugly Americans come out and just bomb it all <laughs> over the place. It's like, well, I mean, if you watch Rory and and John Rahm and Victor Hovland and Tommy Fleetwood and all these guys, like they they play pretty similar golf to Patrick Cantlay and Xander Schauffele and Scotty Scheffler and like all the all the Europeans are five foot six men named Thorsten. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. But what I I think it does do and i i don't you know i i get so quickly out of my depth with all the stat stuff and analytics and pairing stacking and all that stuff but i mean i think it just in like kind of invokes this this randomness right where when you do pinch them in it just means more people are going to miss more fairways which i think just invokes more randomness to what you're saying Sally. right like you if you're going to miss a fairway there's a chance where the ball is going to settle down to the bottom and now all of a sudden scotty scheffler and you know his talent advantage kind of like is slightly diminished somewhat right where it's like if if everybody's missing more fairways i think that's good for the team that's statistically less strong right and i think it just brings brings everything together and so that's kind of where my head is is with it is like it's not necessarily because rory and rom and you know all these guys are going to hit so many more fairways it's more just because it's like it's going to probably protect you know Bob McIntyre, Nikolai Hoygaard, and and some of the you know w- where Europe kind of runs out of depth towards the bottom of their lineup. I totally agree. I think it puts it puts if you are an underdog, it puts the uh, the favorite in a bit of a blender with you. It puts you back in a little bit of a dogfight, right? Whereas Whistling Straits was the U.S. wanted to stretch that thing out. They wanted to make it a long iron to mid iron contest, and there was just nowhere to hide on a lot of those par threes for uh, for that European team compared to when you got Xander, when you got Cantlay, when you got Morikawa, when you got the DJ and the team that they had, like they just was no chance in that one. Whereas this kind of format gives you at least a chance. Shane, you are one of, if not the only uh, person out there, I think other than I, if I may say myself that has spent any time kind of digging into how the process has changed on the U S side in terms of how they put together a team, how they put together a cohesive approach to the event, how they come up with strategies, how they analyze scenarios. I'm wondering what you've kind of learned in that process, you've written a great piece that uh, I'm going to be referencing a lot of in a, in a piece that I think is probably going to come out by the time this, this podcast is posted. But what you've kind of learned at how the U.S. process has evolved over the years and why I believe potentially that this go around is going to be different for the U.S. team. It's a little bit of everything, right? So there's first of all, I think it's interesting to talk about the psychological part of it, where if we go back all the way to 2008, where um, Paul Azinger invents the pod system, right? The boys Sorry, club. The, the boys club. Yeah, <laughs> he invents the boys club. It had never been done up to that point. Uh, 2008, they said, what if we have all the boys we like in the same club? It, it blew people's minds. It was really something. Um, no, but he... <laughs> All right, I got to stop laughing. Yes, so 2008, Paul Azinger invents the pod system where his big revelation is that, you know, you know, it's from watching a Navy SEALs documentary where it... You know, the SEALs train in groups of six and they they become really sort of, you know, really like tied into each other and loyalty and they trust each other and everything. And his whole thing that was weird for him as a Ryder Cup player was, okay, we're in this individual sport. And then every two years, you ask us to come together as 12 people and have this kumbaya sort of we're all brothers thing. And nobody believes it. It's kind of ridiculous. But he was like, okay, wait a minute. What if we do the Navy SEALs approach and instead of having 12 people get together, we can have four people together. And on my team, I can put the four rednecks together and put the four California guys together and the four other people <laughs> together, right? Like I can make them sort of, I, and he actually literally gave them personality tests so he could separate them. And he said, don't worry about the whole team. Just worry about like being 
with these guys, getting a certain amount of trust together. You know you're going to play with them in the pair sessions. You'll play next to them in the single sessions, and it worked really, really well. And and that was a funny thing because it almost sounds cynical because the European approach would be, even if we don't like each other, we have this juggernaut America that every single time we are so desperate and intent on beating that we can come together and we can have the passion of our, you know, first of our country, later of our continent, right? And we're going to come beat them and we're going to have these hype videos and it's just going to be this tradition and we're going to go on this thing. And Azinger was kind of like, that's just not how it works in America. And so you can follow that line to a question I asked Zach Johnson today at his press conference, <laughs> which is incredible, which, which was like, well, I, you're going to think I'm going to do the Roman empire thing, but I'm not. That, I'll, I'll talk about that, but it's actually, the first- by the way, you speaking of the way Shane works on Twitter, I saw somebody else post that. I was like, is this like Shane performance art of like a, <laughs> a fake Shane question that somebody else is posting on Twitter. And then I, I literally had to go look up the transcript. I was like, no, he actually asked. He actually, he actually asked that. I feel like uh, which we're, we're going to get there because I do want to read that question in its entirety on the podcast. <laughs> it seemed like legit normal record. until I asked Zach Johnson if he was going to be wearing like bear rugs or whatever the <laughs> thing was. Can, can point, I just read? Can I just read this right now? Because I don't know right, when we're going to get back to it. Please, yes. This is this is an actual question from uh, your your intrepid journalist Shane Ryan. Quote. So because we're in Rome, obviously this is the site of a famous historical empire that never lost at home until some serious internal divisions weakened them, and then the barbarians were at the gates and they took over. This may be a jet lag question, semicolon. I desperately need sleep. But Luke, do you worry that you're something like the last Roman emperor? And Zach, do you ever think of yourself as a Visgoth dressed and ready, bare furs and ready to attack? And I thought both guys humored, humored the question quite well. They did. Yeah, it was actually, well, the first question I asked Zach Johnson was actually more serious, but you know, we saw in whistling straight, Steve Stricker was like, first of all, doesn't like to talk. And which is a, such a funny quote from him. He's like, I really like what, what, you know, tell us about yourself, Steve. Like, I don't like to talk. That's his main thing. Right. So he was not going to give raw raw speeches. He was not into big hype videos from his time playing. He didn't like when you did these, you know, gala dinners where you had to be signing 800 autographs at night. And, and COVID gave him a big assist with that, right? They didn't have to have all the dinners and stuff. But his whole thing was like, we're going to try to make the players as comfortable as possible. You know, like Brooks Kapka or Sky Scheffler, if you take a nap at 1 p.m. each day or if you lift weights at 10 a.m. each day, we want you to still be able to do that in the week leading up. We want it to be completely normal. And we're not going to bother you with motivational stuff because we're going to trust that the motivation comes from inside, right? And so they... That was his whole approach. And I asked Zach Johnson, is that still your approach? And he was said, absolutely 100%, I think was his quote. And that, that I think, again, traces from that Azinger line of like, let's forget this idea of trying to be a, a passionate team together and have this like camaraderie and this kumbaya feeling. Let's just make things normal. And the advantage that modern U.S. teams have, which I think is so crucial, and you see it in like Justin Thomas, how much he wants to make the team. These guys grew up watching Europe kick the crap out of the U.S. in the Ryder Cup. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you didn't have that with the with the you know contemporary players at the time. So what that means is the passion is going to come from these guys. They really want to win this. You don't need to tell them. You don't need to have somebody make a video with old captains being like, this is the biggest day of your life. Like, you know, five captains in a row saying that. Like Sam Torrance doesn't need to be in there, right? Like you don't need that stuff. These guys just need to everything to be kind of normal for them and to be able to play as best they can and to be comfortable. And the pod system plays into that. 
And so very long answer to your question, Saul, is like that's the psychological aspect of it. Now, if we get on the practical and strategic side of it, sure, they learn things like more captain's picks are better. We need to set the course in ways using using people who are smart, like scouts, you know, consulting, analytics people. We need to, you know, make the course in a way that's conducive to us. We need to, you know, it, it goes down to every little possible granular thing you can think of. We need to make sure food's available in the right way, that the team meetings are convenient. Like all this stuff that is nuts. I remember after Whistling Straits, I talked to Davis Love and uh, and he was like, you know, we're already talking about things we can do better. And I was like, Davis, you just won 19 to 11. This is like the biggest 19, nine. Do not cheat them out of the 10 points. I'm so sorry. Yes. 19 to nine. They did not get to 10 points. Um, And I said, what could you possibly do differently? And he was like, well, you know, some of the food delivery was a little off. And you're like, your mind is almost blown because you grew up hearing stories of, of America just blowing it in every possible massive way. And here's Davis Love going, well, I noticed this detail and we're going to discuss it and we're going to make sure it works right next time because, you know, like food delivery on Friday morning wasn't as perfect as it could have been. So they just become a more efficient, organized system. You guys see like they're running the same captains back all the time, right? Yeah, it's become like it's almost like they're a executive board rather than a one and done type thing. They all have the same philosophy. Zach Johnson is following in the philosophy of Stricker who followed in the philosophy of Furyk and Davis Love and on and on and on. And they're just really, really good at all the organizational principles. I think they really love doing it. And, and yeah, they have the philosophy, right, of like, this is what makes us different from Europe. And this is what's going to help our guys thrive uh, when, you know, when, when the rubber meets the road. I think what's so fun about that, Shane, is, is how romantic the rah-rah Sam Torrance videos are and how romantic that idea of like, man, if you, if you just want it a little bit more, you're going to play that much better and you're going to be a different version of yourself, a better version of yourself. All that stuff is so fucking fun to like get behind and to watch the Europeans do and to watch them sing and dance. And like, they're just so fun to watch. And it just completely makes sense when you look back at, you know, Sally, you and KVV were doing all these, the podcast about, you know, the, the previous uh, Ryder cups on European soil. And it's like, man, what was the biggest problem is like tiger Phil and Jim Furyk turned into three completely different people when you put them into this system. Right. And it's, it, it just all speaks in like, it's almost like this, really obvious light bulb when you put it that way is like hey what if we just like treated this week like every other week and just trusted the fact that we have way better players and uh we just allow them to kind of like do their normal thing rather than trying to put them into this you know like you said galas and you know hype speeches and all, all that stuff it's just it's really interesting to think about well and they just like every time they tried to reboot it or change the way they would do it it would still be with the same core group of guys like tiger and phil have been on every team together dating back to 1997 with the exception of 2014 uh tiger was not on that team Furyk was on every one of those teams until 2018 when he was the captain of that team, which also lost. Like there just was not a uh, a chance to change the the atmosphere, the mojo, the, the the entire setup without like getting some of those guys out of the room. And this is the part of the podcast where we say the the, the three words that like we don't say very often, only when we're mocking other people on Twitter. But Phil was right. Like Phil gets a lot of credit for this reboot for what he said in 2014 after Tom Watson did what he did and for suggesting that they would go get some stats guys to help them out and, and, and to totally reboot the way they've done things. And look, they've had a great run since the capital T capital F task force was, uh, was rolled out at great mockery. And the only like the hole in that is like, yeah, you didn't win the one that counts. You didn't win 2018 Ryder cup. And 
honestly, if they don't win this one, like they still won't get any credit. And I'm not sure they should. Like it still is like the thing of winning the home ones is not hard. Winning the President's Cup is not hard. Winning the Ryder Cup in Europe is obviously very, very hard. Will it actually change this time? I, I, this might be the part of the clown uh, put, putting on makeup meme where it's like, yeah, I've convinced myself every time they go over that this is the year, but it's a new group of guys and it's a new process. It really is different this time around. And if they lose for the seventh straight time, they'll be doing it in a new creative way. I will say that <laughs> you can hang the banner like the Colts did for the AFC finalist of runner up in the Ryder Cup in Europe if they do happen to lose it in a, in a seventh creative way. Which is what I think makes it so fun, right? Is sure. like, uh, Shane, I'm so bought into everything you've, you've just said the last five minutes until they go and like you know, get blown out this time. And it's like, Oh man, like now what do you do? <laughs> like now what? And that's, I think that's the single most interesting thing of, of the week. Right. It's definitely the most interesting thing because it's all theoretical until you win in Europe. It's all theoretical yeah. until you win in Europe. And, and it, the, the thing is like, I'm with Solly. We're like, okay, if they get blown out, then we probably have to have a discussion about let's have a neutral person design the courses, you know, stuff like that, because there's been too many home blowouts in a row. And we're in an era of, you know, we're going to be 15 years since the last close Ryder cup in Medina by the time we get to the next one. But if they lose closely, I'm going to be like, see, they're on the right path. Exactly. And nobody, and nobody everybody else will be like, that's, that's loser talk. But no, I, I think there is something to it where you're, you are, literally dealing with one of the hardest things in sports, which is to win a Ryder cup on European soil. It hasn't been done. We all know, we all know the numbers. It hasn't been done since 1993. It's hard for a million different reasons, but this American team is more equipped to do it than any American team since that year. And I, you know, I'm going to write a prediction piece at some point this week and almost hundred percent. I'm going to write that the Americans are going to win and it's going to be really close. And that, that is kind of the thing I'm sticking by. I think they've done what they need to do and they've, they've kind of worked the system to the point where they are fully capable of doing it. But we also have to admit to ourselves that we are looking for overarching patterns in an event that is fundamentally three days long and yeah. that has a million different outcomes, right? Like I, I played in my friend's Ryder cup, which has been close for two years. I played in it last weekend and my team won 18 to two with some, like, everything was in, insane. I can't tell you how insane delivery was just incredible. <laughs> I can't tell you how even things were on paper. And when we were up eight, nothing after the first day, we were like, couldn't even enjoy it anymore. We're like, what the fuck happened? Like, so like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, like in a small sample size, that range of things is possible. Now, that being said, I think it's, Yes, I, I the overarching narrative of this is that the US has been phenomenal since the task force came about. It's easy to laugh at a name like task force. I was laughing at it at the time. They've been great in President's Cups, they've been great in Ryder Cups. They got severely unlucky, in my opinion, in Paris, as for reasons you guys talked about. I think they are on the ascendancy, but until you win in Europe, you just can't, you just can't like doesn't put the matter. stamp on that paper, right? You you can't like you can't put the rubber stamp on it. And so that's all there is to it. Like they have to go out and win this thing. And if they don't, it won't matter if they go with, you know, they're going to win like 20 to eight in, in, in Beth page. We know that, right. They're not going to lose in Beth page, but if they don't go win this thing tomorrow, we're still dealing with that same narrative. That's going to happen again and again and again. But the one thing I will say to your point is before the task force, it had been an awfully long time before America had won two in a row at home, even that's how bad things were. So if you want to measure progress in the Ryder cup, there is that, 
but that is kind of like thin gruel, right? When it comes to the bigger thing of like winning in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm back and forth. Um, I, I data golf. If I go to the website now for the first time, their forecast is under 50% for the U S to win. They have it 49.8 and Europe at 42%, which leaves about 8% for the tie. And it's the, like a uh, presidential election. We're panicking, right? We're <laughs> exactly. panicking like the week before. And I, uh, I need to go knock on some doors here in Wisconsin and get a, <laughs> be great to lock up. Some of these. I'm going to call Europeans on the phone. Bank. <laughs> it is too early to call, but if I may say international golf glory is on the line, America's best golfers wow. face out against Europe stars in this week's tournament. No matter who you're rooting for DraftKings has you covered on all the action. New customers can pocket $200 instantly in bonus bets for betting just five on golf. U.S. is currently minus 115. Europe is plus 125 on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, it also says here in the copy, please do not provide betting advice on how they should wager. I'm guessing that's due to our picks from this past year. Uh, and they don't want uh, <laughs> us to throw out any advice to anyone out there because it should be ignored at all costs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NLU. New customers can get 200 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on this week's tournament. That's code NLU only on the DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. This next part, uh, I'm wondering if I if I listed off all of the last six losses or this legalese, which would go faster here. We, we, we'll see here, though. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, 21 plus age, varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. CDKNG.co slash golf for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply back to 1993. No. Um, <laughs> well done. What is, uh, Deej, I'm going to start with you. The, the United States wins this Ryder Cup if. like Play, play this out for me. In, in what world does the U.S. win? I mean, I know how obvious this is, but it, it it wins if the guys who leave the United States are the same guys that show up in Europe, right? Like that's that's been the entire thing is if we get there and Patrick Cantlay suddenly is the guy that we've seen Thursdays and Fridays at major championships, uh, that's not going to be great. If him and Xander are the same guys we think they're going to be, like they're they're probably going to roll. If JT and Spieth are the same guys we think they're going to be, they're probably going to roll. If Scott, I mean Scotty plays well, if Max plays well, if like if a lot of these guys that you know, basically if it's played on paper, they're they're going to win is the super obvious way of of saying what I'm trying to make sound not quite so obvious. But that's that's been the problem, and I think that's where that's what is the most interesting thing to me is. Whether you want to look at this as glass half full, glass half empty, you know, this is kind of like the most fun Rorschach test, right? Is eight of these guys have never played a Ryder Cup in Europe before. And is that a positive? Is that a negative? I, I truly don't know. And I, I just think it's so fun that like Scotty Scheffler, who feels like he's been the number one player in the world for 10 years at this point now, has never played a Ryder Cup in Europe. Xander never has. Cantley never has. Morikawa never has. I, I mean, I just I think it's like seeing how those guys answer the bell and if they if they are their normal selves or if they are all of a sudden, oh, my God, why is everybody screaming at me uh, is the most interesting thing to me. So I, I just I cannot wait to see what happens. Shane, what's the path to victory for the United States? I'll say this. If they come off the first session going, why is everyone screaming at me? That's a very <laughs> bad sign for the U.S. 
Someone should prepare them for that. Listen, the path for the U.S. is, first of all, I think they definitely need to get out to a big lead. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because the U.S. Solheim Cup won 4-0 in their first session. <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I really do think, you know, what we saw in Whistling Straits was, you know, probably Parry Carrington had a great plan of, you know, playing all his players the first day and having a balanced thing. And then the U.S. punched them in the mouth and they were distraught and, and sort of chaotic ever since that point. It's really big because everybody comes in with a plan. The plan now would be everybody's going to play the first day. I'm sure both teams are going to you know, do that. The U.S. plan, I'm sure, is that nobody should play all five sessions if they can help it. There, there's all these little things that, that are kind of smart and, and that have historically proven over time to be good things. Keep your players rested for Sunday singles, but it all hinges on having a lead. And so, you know, Luke Donald did something which surprised me there's always been this thing where Europe has done foursomes alternate shots second when they host and the U S has always done it first. And, and it's funny because I've asked Jason Aquino of scouts consulting, like, just tell me why this is done. Like, what is the reason for this? And he's like, well, either there's a reason or there's not to the point that I, <laughs> to the point that I don't know if there's an actual reason. And I, I asked Paul McGinley recently, I'm like, you know, have the formats been announced? He said they haven't been announced yet, but I'd be surprised if we if we go away from what's worked in Europe for decades, and I was like, yeah, of course, they're going to do for some second. But Luke Donald has done them first. And his philosophy, which he just said today very plainly, is I think we have really good foursomes matchups. We trust our analytics has the most influence on foursomes. And so we're going to do the thing first because we want to get a lead first. Getting a lead early is really, really big, notwithstanding what we saw at the Solheim Cup. And, yeah, I, I think if U.S. is I think the U.S. has got the better team. I think they have a really interesting thing right now where they're being framed as underdogs, which is something that Europe has tried to avoid like the plague for so long. You, you may remember McGinley at Glen Eagles, like being like, well, Tom Watson, a legend of the game. I don't know what, what hope we have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, these big Americans, these big Americans, these big mighty Americans, how can we possibly compete? But it's kind of going the other way now. Right. Like, and, and not just, not just with like analytics stuff, but, People are going, oh, God, look how good they all did at their, you know, last European tour event against whatever minor leaguers they were playing. <laughs> Plumbers can, you and believe that they're, can you believe that the best 12 players in Europe finished in the top 25 <laughs> in a tournament with only Europeans? <laughs> <laughs> like, that is, this is insane. And they're Billy Horschel. And Tom Billy Horschel. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. Yeah, I apologize to Billy Horschel and all his family. But, uh, no, that like that's the kind of thing. Like, there is this momentum for Europe. Uh, in terms of the PR that I actually think is really good for the U S so all they have to do is play their game. But to go back to DJ's point, like you do have to fight with thousands of people screaming at you. That's not, that's not nothing. And in my opinion, that's the biggest thing. And so if they can handle that and having eight people who have never done that before in the situation, if they can handle it and go out to a first day lead, I think they have all the confidence they need. And I think they have the leadership and the experience they need to go out and win this thing. I'm betting on them to win this thing. And yet I don't think there's any world in which it's going to be a blowout. So they're going to have to be tough from beginning to end, right? It's going to be, even if they're up 10, six, Europe is going to make a run on Sunday. There's going to be some crazy things that happen. Uh, so the path to victory, I would say is don't get punched in the mouth in the first session in the first day, stick to it and just kind of let your talent come through. And I think they talent experience strategy. I think they have what it takes. I think there's something really interesting about that foursomes switch up too. just like the idea of going out first thing and just knowing, you know, oh my God, Ryder Cup in Europe, Ryder Cup in Europe, Ryder Cup in Europe. Everybody's telling me how intense this is going to be. And then having to go out and only playing half the shots, 
being a little bit back footed on like a weird format with all that stuff in, in your mind, like it does kind of, it does make sense to me, you know, again, I don't know the numbers and how they make that decision, but as a player, like, Oh my God, I could tell you, you know, hypothetically as if I had been chosen for the Ryder cup, uh, I could tell you which one I would absolutely not want to play. <laughs> it's like, yo, you're not playing your own ball. You're only, you're waiting to, you know, play with the other guy. It's a format. You don't play that much. Like I, I think it's a, it makes sense to me. So what were you going to say? Well, and it's also like the level at which this is being broken down on the analytics and strategic front is like, the downstream effect of certain pairings and and like looking historically at what the US has done with their teams and who they sent out in the first session and what Europe typically does. And like I think Europe rope adoped Furic it at in 2018 is like, all right, they always roll out their top eight guys, whatever it is, for four balls, and this is what they'll do. We're gonna semi-punt on this first session. We're gonna send like what a typical thing is like to send your your strongest guys out first. And then the afternoon is like, all right, we're going to rotate the rookies in then, but Europe like rope a dope them. And like when us rolled out uh, DJ and Ricky, who didn't make it to the 17th hole, Bubba and Webb in, in alternate shot, Mickelson and Bryson, like all those teams got wiped off the map in that afternoon. And the Ryder cup was over. Like it was toast at that point, the singing had started and it was all over. And to your, to your point, Shane, it's taken me like longer to, fully fully recognize it i've always known this but to fully recognize like match play is such a different beast and like we don't have anything else to judge people on other than their stroke play records but match play is these the the stroke play golf is all about limiting risk it's all about hitting center of greens it's about aiming 10 feet towards the right or the left of a pin to be away, you know, to be on the fat side of the green and all that. And match play is dictated a lot by what the, your opponent does and every 10 foot putt uh, you know, an eight footer that is either to to win or tie the hole or lose or tie the hole is different than like, hey, over 72 holes, I'm going to make half these eight footers and I'm going to uh, miss half these eight footers, whatever. And match play just doesn't work like that. And it is the same reason why like Ian Poulter can turn into a god in these things and Tiger can turn into a little boy. And just to, like it, the better player is almost disadvantaged sometimes because there's this, this thing that works on top of you of how am I one down to Robert McIntyre right now? The dude just missed the cut at the French Open. And before you know it, you're two down and you're pressing yourself. And that has how how this has happened so frequently for them. And uh, I don't know why I've considered, uh, you know, I've, I've concluded that it's going to be different this time. But there's always that feeling every time the oh shit feeling every time they go to Europe where you all throw out all the numbers and you just forget like what it's like for once those chants really start. And they're coming, man. The chants are coming. Chants are definitely coming. I I have this funny memory all the time, and I I always hesitate to say it a little because I don't think it's representative completely, but it was Rory versus Ian Poulter in Austin. I want to say it was three years ago, but it might have been four years ago. And as you can imagine, Rory was like 50 yards ahead of him on the tee all the time. But that meant Poulter got to hit his approach first, and Poulter was sticking every iron, and he ended up beating Rory and it was just the kind of thing where you're like, this wouldn't play in stroke play, right? Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't be head to head. First of all, Roy wouldn't give a shit like what Poulter was doing on his approaches. But in this like particular form of singles match play, what, what Poulter was doing was absolutely driving Rory crazy and he ended up beating him. And yeah, it just shows like th there's just a small example, right? It's not representative on the whole, probably being 50 yards further off the tee is a good thing, even in match play. But yeah, the chance are coming. It's going to be tough. It's going to be the cauldron. It's it's why we get into the idea of like the JT debate, which I think is possibly the dumbest debate anyone's ever had like in golf in the last two decades. 
of whether JT should be on that team. The only reason you could say no is if you have absolutely no concept of what match play is, no sense of history, right, or any of that stuff. Like, like having Justin Thomas out there is such a big weapon, right, because of these same things we're talking about, being able to step up in that arena and do the thing that you have to do. And he did it in Paris, even while the U.S. was, you know, getting decimated. So it's it's unpredictable in a lot of ways, but the teams that have always done better in the Ryder cup are the teams that have adhered to a close system that have worked on a template of success and that have the guys who can step up in the big moments. And I think what's so intriguing and what has me, you know, I won't sleep probably on Thursday night because <laughs> both team, both teams have that this year, right? There's no bad captain. It's not Azinger versus Faldo where you're like, Oh, well, that's one guy. <laughs> not Watson right? versus McGinley. <laughs> yeah. It's not Watson versus McGinley. Exactly. Like there's not a thing where you're like, well, yeah, in hindsight, you know, that's that, that was over before it started. You have like you have one team that's slightly better, two really good captains, two really good systems and a home crowd on the opposite side of the team that's better. Like th there is there's every chance and I hope it happens. There's every chance that we see a Ryder Cup finally first one since Medina that on, you know, let's say on Sunday at 4 p.m. Italian time is still really hanging in the balance. I, I go back to this a lot, Shane. This is after the 2021 Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. The U.S. won 19 to nine. The captain of the European side, Padraig Harrington, said, "Everything Europe has done over the last 20 years to innovate, to get an edge, they have just copied us. They are doing the exact same thing as us. It's just hard to find that edge." And I go back and listen yeah. to your deep dive into the 2014 Ryder Cup very more frequently than I possibly should because just to be reminded of what it what it means to be completely outclassed from a captaincy perspective. I think, again, we we, we can talk about this for another 40 minutes uh, like we have to start this podcast, but a lot of people think it just means kumbaya and, and well-produced uh, media productions that go out to your Twitter account and chants and support in the team room. And a lot more of it is about planning for scenarios, about putting guys in position to succeed in comfortable situations and not telling like, hey, Hunter Mahan, go play with Jim Furyk in foursomes. This is, I'm just now deciding that this is a good idea. Like the U.S. has come so, so, so far from that scenario mm -hmm. that again is like why I, I can, I'm, I'm convincing myself that there's reason to hope. There's a, a story I love from Whistling Straits. Um, you go into this idea that, you know, planning is is the biggest thing. And Steve Stricker's whole mantra, the entire his entire captaincy was, I'm going to outplan these guys. And so we get to Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever, and it was the first captain's press conference. And Steve Stricker's up there. And in the opening ceremonies, at some point, he accidentally said that he was a Bears fan and got everyone to boo him. And like his captain's press conferences are like, you know, horrible. He's like, well, I'm just not a guy who likes to talk, you know. Like, Padraig schooled like, him at all those opportunities. Had me worried yeah, yeah, about the Padre, team. And, yeah. and Padraig goes up and is hilarious. And Padraig goes up and is hilarious and all this stuff. And you, you remember, like, he had all his guys wear cheese heads out to the first tee one day, right? We're going to win genius. over the Wisconsin crowd. Yeah, just, yeah, complete genius. But there was a, they, their, their press conference ended. And this, this English reporter, who I didn't know, but he caught my eye. And he looks at me and goes, one nil to the Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I just thought, like, even at the time, I was like, how stupid can you like, I mean, like, how unimportant is this stuff, right? Like, it's so unimportant. And of course, I had an inside look into, you know, you know, within reason, I had an inside look into the kind of stuff Stricker was doing. And I knew he was going to be a good captain, but it was so funny. And then I saw Paul McGinley, you know, on Thursday night. And I was like, what do you think? And I mean, <laughs> 
in nicer words, he all but told me, like, this is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> Europe could have gotten nine points for those press conferences. It wouldn't have been yeah, enough to win at Whistling. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not good. Like, and so the people who know, know, right? You know you know what the important thing is. And, and actually, McGinley has a quote. I think he borrowed it from Bill Belichick, which is, make the important thing the important thing. And that, that's a really big deal. And for Stricker, right, it was like, you know, he's not going to give the best speech. There's no way possible. But the important thing for him was just out-preparing on all the small logistical ways, you know, what, what Harrington had did. And he did. And we saw, look, I don't know what Harrington could have done to reverse that Ryder cup, but certainly not knowing what balls your guys are playing on Tuesday of the Ryder cup is a bad sign, right? Certainly like taking fewer captain's picks is a bad sign. You just, like, there's little things like that, that you know, it just kind of shows you the quality of the captain and how obsessed they are. And I, I think Harrington had a funny quote afterward, which is, you know, actually, I think he said it to me, you know, the way Paul McGinley, handled his captaincy, set a really high and potentially unfair bar for the rest of us because, because McGinley was, this was, he treated it as his job for two years and he, and he thought of every last detail and all that, but now that's the Americans are doing, right? So if you don't do that and all indications are that Luke Donald is doing that and so is Zach Johnson, but if you don't do that, you're, you're kind of screwed in this day and age. It's, it's, you know, I, I cite the data a lot, the analytics a lot to the to the eye roll of many a listener and viewer, I'm sure, and present company maybe even included in that. But that's all to like Europe Europe has schooled us on that front for many years. Like that's what Europe has done, right? And it's just been yeah, every little advantage you can get from analytics is a small percentage point. But when you span it out over 28 matches, like the 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 comparison I've made, it's like it's like playing blackjack with a really good strategy versus playing one with a really bad one. Like a really bad yeah, one, yeah. you're gonna win 40% of your hands. And if you play perfect, you might win 49.5% of your hands, right? But to punt that advantage to Europe every single year, like it it it, it you're starting at a at a huge disadvantage just odds-wise, right? And to by all accounts, it seems they've at least somewhat leveled the field on that regard and made it more about you know, the golf plan, maybe to the, maybe they do it too much. Maybe they're too analytical. Maybe they, you know, make some mistakes. I, uh, there's plenty of decisions that will likely be questioned if things go poorly. And and even if they don't, people are going to question things. People are already questioning why Bryson's not on the team, which I don't know if we want to get into some of those comments that came out today, but, um, or yesterday, I guess, if you don't mind, if, if you'll let me read them, please. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm playing better than Wingfoot. Um, <laughs> he said, if you look at it, it would have been at least nice to have got a call. There's numerous people that I think Zach should have called out here, and we didn't get that. I understand. I get it. But we're nothing different. We're still competing. We're still working super hard to be the best we possibly can be. It, it all is, as it always has been, just reeks of the Arrest Development uh, Magicians Alliance. We demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I just, I don't know, man, maybe the cell phone service at the party hole last week wasn't very good, but, uh, I, I think it's, I, I don't know. I, I think to borrow another bill, bill Belichick quote, like we're on to Cincinnati here, Bryson. Thank, thank you. I think we're good. <laughs> How do you think that phone call would have gone? Right. I mean, do you want to you yeah. play this out? Do you want to be Bryson? I'll, I'll be ZJ. I'll give you a call. Ring, ring, yeah, ring, ring. Please. Yep. Yeah. Hello. Which wait, which one am I? Sorry. You're Bryson. Oh, uh, I, like yeah, I can't I like talk right now. That, that it was like in Chris's scenario, Bryson was calling Zach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot prepped, but uh, I would say, I, Zach, you got to make this quick. I can't talk right now. I'm, I'm currently uh, retrofitting my house with uh, 
you know, f- something that's going to help me live until I'm 165. Yeah, that's that's perfect, Bryce. And listen, nobody <laughs> likes you. Like none of these guys <laughs> like you. None of these guys want you to be on this team. Uh, if you thought you'd even be considered for this team after you literally middle fingered these guys and sued them, like left for live and just totally out of spite sued the PGA Tour, which is 11 of these players and you thought you would even be considered for this Ryder Cup team is such a gross misunderstanding of the entire process that we've spent 45 minutes. The No Laying Up guys have spent 45 great minutes of their podcast just now discussing. If you thought for one fucking second we were going to ever consider you for this team, shows it is every single reason we would have ever needed to have not taken you on this team. But hey, best of luck uh, to the Crushers in the remaining part of the season. Yeah, I mean, agree to disagree. Uh, <laughs> just, you know just one of those things uh you know we're gonna keep working hard uh we're trying to avoid relegation uh you know th- things like that yeah yeah I, I think that's i think that's about right Sally. also thank you for the zero and three performance in france you were a really <laughs> big addition the last time the uh the, the we went across the pond to play europe thank you for that uh, you know what the only bryson uh you know maybe this is the wisconsin uh coming out at me but uh Man, I don't think I've watched another highlight from the 21 Ryder Cup more than I have the him raising his putter after driving the first green. It was like straight. So it was can straight. I just balance the, the scales. We got to add that into the record as well. Can I just say, like, I'm not always the biggest Bryson supporter, but I think he handled himself really professionally in that call. And I think Zach Johnson was a little <laughs> aggressive and cruel. I just as a neutral body, I just uncharacteristically to- <laughs> aggressive, I would say. Yeah. I wouldn't know. He's blocked me on Twitter. I don't know how he behaves. So <laughs> that's the like of all the positives in the column for the US and why I think they might win. Definitely a negative is that their uh, their captain has rabbit ears and has blocked me for despite never tweeting at him. Oh wait, Zach Johnson is blocked? Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying Bryson. Oh, no. interesting. Yeah, Bryson has not. He has uh downplayed a lot of my reporting uh, as it relates to you know the news related to him over the last that's what, years. Yeah. That's what I didn't think about. If you, you know, if, if Bryson's going to be on the team or not on the team, you're going to hear first from his, from his team. <laughs> Don't believe anything. Zach Johnson says you're going to hear that from my, me and my team first. <laughs> oh man. All right. What, uh, what's burning next? What, we have a lot of stuff to get to, but what, what's, what should we prioritize here? Uh, let's do some hypotheticals. So I'm going to throw out some superlatives, some segments, things like that. Uh, Shane, let's just, let's quit fucking around here. Should we, let's just go right to it. Enough is enough. (laughs) Enough is enough. Ryder cup MVP. Who's it going to be? Oh man. Oh man. Great call. Um, I'm trying to think what would make the most people upset. It's a weird way. My brain, (laughs) the games, all the stuff. I think, I think game might be the MVP. Blocky. <laughs> Michael Block. Michael Block is going to come commentate and nail. He's like Tony Romo, nail every single match. Um, no, I think, you know, MVP, I think MVP. Oh, man. I, I want to give a good answer. I want to say Justin Thomas, the troll in me, wants to say Justin Thomas. But I think, here's what I think Wyndham Clark is going to surprise oh, some people. Wow. He's going to get more starts than people. He's going to get four. He's going to get four starts. He's going to go three zero and one, and he's going to be your sneaky MVP because he's going to do something special on like Saturday morning, right? Before like, there's going to be a moment where you go, Wyndham Clark, who knew everybody, everybody wrote him off. Wyndham Clark is the guy. Did, did not see that coming. I'm going to say like the X man. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Xander. I, like Xander. I think that if, if he and Cantlay really get out and run, I could see that potentially being the only team on the U S side that goes four team matches. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but 
I think, again, this is the part that is starting to really interest me about this competition is like the U.S., I would imagine their strategy would be to try to get their best teams up against like the Xander Cantlay and the Scheffler Burns team, which I think we're going to see, try to get them, try to line them up against the the middle to the bottom part of the European team when they do that, counting on the fact that they're, uh, the U.S.'s middle to bottom depth has more capability to beat Europe's top teams uh, to really run up the point total, right? So like if you think back to uh, the singles matches and how they worked out at, at Whistling Straits, like they wanted their 12th man, Scotty, to have John Rahm and that to be favored in all the other matches. And that's exactly how it worked out uh, in singles. And I know we're talking team stuff, but I think if they can figure out a way to do that, and I know there's a shitload of scenario planning that goes into all that, which I don't know how all that works when it comes to like, well, they know we're doing that now. So now do we change the order of when we do things and all that? is such a cat and mouse game. They know that we know that they know. Exactly. (laughs) But does at a certain certain point it becomes this like, screw them, screw what they know. Xander and Patrick first, right? Like it just becomes like, we're not going to play the double, triple think game or, or we might, or we might. (laughs) (laughs) No, but really, right. At a certain point, you just got to throw your guys out there and say, we, we think they're going to beat anyone. Yeah. And that's where I think, like, I think back to 2014, and I remember looking at some of the pairings, and and I forget which of the window I can I can pull it up here, but I remember looking at like, um, uh, like the afternoon pairing on foursomes was like, all right, Rosen Stenson and Rory Garcia are a team. It's like, dude, I don't think you're beating either of those teams if you're the U.S. Like, I, and I think the U.S. has a couple of those anchors now that if you can get them in the right matchups to just put like the two points on the board, like. It, Session by session, that's just going to add up by the end of it. I think Europe does have a depth problem. Uh, We've seen, I thought they had a depth problem in 2018 and they did not end up having that. Uh, It turns out the Fleetwood Molinari thing was enough to carry the day on that. But I wouldn't be surprised if Bob uh, McIntyre sat out one of the days. Like if they only played him in one of the team matches, if I had to nominate someone from either side, um, that would be the case. But also... I can think of no one better primed for like the, yeah, this dude has no business Big beating me, <laughs> has no business beating me by any statistical measure, but how is he four up through five on me? And he's chipped in twice and he's made a 45 <laughs> footer. Like I could totally see that happening as well. So I don't know, this event needs to start. I've twisted my, myself in every possible direction. <laughs> it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday at 12, 10 a.m. We're so screwed. <laughs> There's so much time between now and the first shot. I, I kind of have a feeling it's one of those years where, you know, the, the U S like the MVP comes from the European team and the U S wins, you know, like what, what, like Victor Hovland might go like four Oh and one, but the U S like still wins is kind of the way I would maybe take that question. Otherwise, like very, uh, boringly, I'll say Scotty, I think having a little help, a little help on the greens and, you know, maybe he, something clicks and he's had a little time off to rest. And I, I don't know, I, you know, shocking, please. You know, you can print this in the newspaper, but please must credit DJ Pi. I think uh, I think Scotty's going to drive it and and iron it well when we get there. I mean, if you if you look at if I could take your next question, which I'm guessing is going to be LVP. Um, if you're going to go that way, I, I sure. if I'm Europe again, I'm just a little worried about the Lowry, Rose, McIntyre, Straka, like that four, like those four played a practice round together. I think when they were at um, Marco Simone a week or two ago, and if I was a fan, I would be concerned if if both Lowry and Rose do not play well like if one of them has a stinker I think they might that's might be where they're in a little bit of trouble yeah I had that circled as well it uh, also Lowry's only played one of these right 
Yeah. Like that's that's a whole other thing. He seems like he's been on five teams, right? And he just they treat, hasn't. They treat him like a like a ten Ryder Cup veteran. Yeah, yeah like exactly. the discourse is like, well, this guy's been there over and over. Totally. It's like, no, he went, he went one and two the one time he played. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and they lost. Yeah, it, uh, I will add to that. I, th- I Lowry was the name I was going to come up with, but I I can just picture a scenario in which. Matt Fitzpatrick goes like 0 and 4 and just kind of looks like he doesn't care. And everybody is just infuriated with him. Uh, as much as I like Fitzpatrick, I, I just think that like his Ryder Cup record has been abysmal so far. And he hasn't shown the sort of gumption to, to want to play with any fire. So he would be my early pick for LVP with the full knowledge that that's like, you know, uh, freezing cold takes can come for me. Well, I'll say the, the insert Jamie Weir uh, plug in here would be one. He's not got to play his own ball in any team format so far. And he's a different golfer than he was in the previous two versions with, true, uh, true, with how true. far he hits the ball. Now it's a, it, but we'll see. It's a total question mark. I think that's a question mark until you can, uh, you know, put that definitely can't put that in pen yet. Can I, can I say that the media guide has uh fits listed at 155 pounds. I'm just, I'm not buying it. Think he's more than that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think he's bulked up. Yeah, I would, I would think so. That might have been his original weigh-in back in 2016 just when he was like kind of a you know storyline to watch. I guess just keep that, keep that in mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get him on a scale this week for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> guys, what is Ludwig gonna do? Oh my god, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think every bone in my body wants to believe the hype and wants to be like, oh my god, this is the this is the savior. This is the guy that's going to hit every fairway and wedge it close. And you know, if he makes half the putts, he's gonna he's gonna you know be in every single match. But it's it's kind of hard to get the the Rosang like taste out of my mouth from the Solheim Cup, right? Where it's like you kind of it's easy to paint these people as kind of like the next big thing before before it really happens, right? And and Rose looked. She looked a little from what I didn't watch every session of the Solheim Cup, but from what I did, I mean, putter let her down. It wasn't one of those like the can't miss kid is going to rise to the occasion. It just looked a little uh, a little lost out there. And so I, I I don't know. That's a classic fence sit, but I, I guess my gut would be I I think he'll probably you know go one one and one or something like that. Like I think he'll be he'll be fine. I don't know that he'll be totally spectacular, but. We'll see. There's a lot riding on it. Shane and I were talking about this before we went on. That like Shane, I think owes a, a heartfelt apology to to Tron for to Ludwig being on the team. Apologies no, for he, Ludwig being on the team. He's more but, mad at me about you being wrong about that than he is you. So don't worry about that. I uh, I did a tweet after it was all over where I was like, well, Tron didn't pick up on it for a while, but I just want to say I was pretty ahead of the curve on Ludwig. <laughs> it was a bit. It was all a bit, like all of your other tweets. It was a bit. It was yeah, like I was pretty ahead of the curve, and I got it. And Tron, I man, you like really my, fell for my, that one, Tron. My wording was off, and Tron DM me like, "What do you mean I just got on it? Like, I was, I've been on it." <laughs> No, but Tron, Tron was like on. I really do have to give him credit. Tron was on that, and I think the funniest tweet uh, in hindsight of the whole Solheim Cup was when he had the balls after four zero to be like, "I still don't see a path to America's victory." <laughs> like Tron, Tron is my daddy right now, and I fully accept that. Uh, on the topic of Aberg, however, uh, I will say that the funniest thing you can say to a European fan right now is like, "Man, he kind of gagged it at Wentworth, didn't he? Like he didn't really look good under pressure." <laughs> But no, I, I think, you know, it, it's funny, DJ, to your point and, and what we were saying, there's a couple guys where so much is going to be read into how they play the first time they go out there. And, yeah. and probably for a lot of them, will be Friday morning, Justin Thomas is one yeah. and Aberg is another where it's like, that's, it's pretty significant. Like it, it, when, and they kind of both have to win. Right. I mean, they both, they're both are risky picks. I, I 
again, I'm on record thinking they're both really good picks. And Aberg, I think, makes the whole Ryder Cup more exciting. But if either one of them just like just you know is awful or just stinks, that's going to be a referendum not just on the captain and not just on them, but in as much as this matters, which it, it might not, but in as much as this matters, it's going to be sort of a massive PR thing for everybody watching going, ah, they failed. They failed making totally. that pick. Like, like when Tom Watson let Webb Simpson text his way on the team, and then he went to the first tee and hit the first shot of the Ryder Cup so and, hit it, like, and hit, hit it like 90 yards straight up in the air. You're like, oh, they're done. They're not going to win this Ryder Cup. That's it. Like, just go home, and you won't even have to get yelled at by Phil Mickelson later. Like, just go home. I, that's one thing I hope CJ doesn't do is uh, the, the the Watson thing that always bothered me about Webb is like he's my captain's pick that texted me the day of the picks to I put him on the team I'm putting him out to hit the first shot and it's going to be symbolic I hope he doesn't do that with JT like I don't he was right it, he was right it was symbolic. <laughs> 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 it absolutely was. You don't need to risk it all on that pick. I think JT could be a valuable team member. I don't think you need to play. If it doesn't go well, I don't think he plays more than two team matches. Like, I don't think you have to flex him into a huge role with this team. I think it's a deep enough team that if it's clearly not there, then don't go with it. But I, you know, playing well at the Fortinet and playing well every time there's been a match play team event makes me think that like he will be a positive contributor to this team. So you know, um, just because we haven't talked about him yet, you know, I want to I just want to get on record if we're if we're trying to get on record here, Shane, I, I think Brian Harmon's going to have an awesome week. I think he I hope you, I think yeah. he's built for it. I think he's going to be able to hit driver in a bunch of spots to, you yep. know, where like a lot of guys can't hit driver. I think he's going to be short of a lot of a lot of uh, the trouble. I think to your Ian Poulter example, hitting first into a lot of greens. I think he's, I think he's, I don't know, man. I think he's built to be kind of a dude. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and go four and or something like that, but I, I don't think that was like some, Oh God, bad luck. He won the open. Now we have to take him on the team. I think that's going to end up being a, a positive. And I just feel free to throw that in my face later. No, I think you're right. I think he is. I I like Brian Harmon too. And the, the really interesting thing about Brian Harmon is he has the profile of like, you know, the American conservative deer hunter that should have driven the European media nuts at the open. And they did go after it like crazy, but they all liked him. Yeah. Like that was the thing is like, they couldn't help. They all were amused by him. They like something about his personality. You just kind of like the guy and he's sincere yeah. and he's tough. And that's the other thing is he's tough and he's been good at match play in certain limited way, like in college, like, you know, all these things that probably don't matter now, like, but he's had good moments in match play. I would love a list of the things it. that I was also good at in college that may or <laughs> yeah. may not be transferable now. Dude, beer dye. Oh my God. Yeah. I would smoke if you guys. Yeah. But if you're rolling that team out right now, like, I don't know if you're, you know, best in the country right right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he doesn't catch up to do, but no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Carmen's going to have a good Ryder cup too. I think it's funny to think of, um, the role you would play for him to me right now, he seems like a guy you play Friday morning in foursomes. And if he does well, you play him against Saturday in foursomes and then, and then singles, like maybe he's just a three, the three session guy, but, but that's what the U S is now, right? It's like, it's like the Scheffler formula from whistling straights. These guys can play super, super important limited roles. And there's almost a philosophy on the American team that everybody's a role player. Now JT might only play three sets. Yeah. It just, all these guys have to do is deliver when they're called upon to deliver. And what's also great about Harmon is that he has no ego, right? He's not going to demand. There's nobody on that team, but Harmon especially, who's going to demand to play all five sessions because he won the Open Championship. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, DJ. I, I feel like in limited action, this guy is going to be raring to go, and you can just see him hitting big shot after big shot after big shot. 
and frustrating and annoying and 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 just being all around kind of a a very good kind of pesky guy for the U.S. I have absolutely nothing to go off with this. So this is this is any any pairings I'm talking are completely out of my ass with no inside information. I'm purposefully avoiding all inside information with any of this stuff. But in my head, in the way I think of it, which again, when I've run these by some of the stats guys that think analytically, they just clown on me for the way I think about pairings a lot. <laughs> but again, I'm not looking at nearly the information that they are, but. In my head, Harmon is a four-ball player. Like I want to see him play his own ball um, because the thinking there is he's not a particularly long driver. Yes, he's accurate. He's not a particularly good iron player, but a totally fine iron player. He's just better than the sum of his parts. Like he doesn't have a super translatable skill. He's a good, really good putter, but like, yeah, man, I I, I just struggle to game plan around that, right? Because getting to the green is just as important in the Ryder Cup as as you know. I don't know. I, I think Brian Harmon can make a lot of birdies is a long way of saying like, I always say this and people laugh at me when I say this again, it could be dead wrong, but I feel like your guys that you're less certain about their form, you play in foursomes more than you do football. Like, because four ball, you have to be really good. You have to make birdies. Like you have to attack. Mm-hmm. You have to be on the offensive. And if not, you have anchored your opponent to like, put all the pressure on to play amazing on his own ball. And if you're just not hitting bad shots in foursomes, pars usually aren't hurting you too bad in foursomes, right? And I just think it's like, I've seen enough Ryder Cups to see when there's a four ball partner that is not doing anything for your team, how much that can weigh you down versus a four ball team that puts two balls in the green, two 25 footer, two 25 looks, uh, 25 foot looks at it wears down the other team throughout the course of time. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Harmon in a four ball with a totally off the, you know, off the wall pairing versus like, I wouldn't be surprised if he played with Scotty. I wouldn't be surprised if he played with either yeah, Xander yeah. or Cantley or something like that, where, you know, there it's a totally different strategy in finding your four ball partner. You're trying to find guys that play certain holes better. You know, you don't want your guys covering up birdies is the thing you're trying to plan around, which is really hard, but uh, I don't know that that's where my mind goes with Harmon. I would be very, I would be surprised to see him play foursomes and not be surprised to see him play both four ball sessions. To your point about, you know, the off the ball kind of pairings, there's always something we don't expect. So as much as we analyze whoever's playing together in the practice rounds and, and who we think we know, and, you know, we obviously we're going to see Spieth and Thomas probably and Kentley and, and, um, but that's where it gets interesting, right? It's like there, there, it does seem like there's enough assumptions in there. Right, with there's like, a ton of assumptions, but like in Whistling Straits, you saw Kepka and Spieth play, and, yeah, right? Uh, JT and Cantley played, and Xander yeah. and JT yeah. and Cantley. Yeah, there's yeah, there's always these things that are like, usually it's something the captain was like, you know, I just have this feeling, and ran it by the stats guys, and they're like, oh, major green light, major green light for these guys, and yeah, they throw it out on you know a, a Saturday afternoon when somebody else needs to rest or something. That, yeah, Solly, to your point, I can totally see it, and they'll be ready for it. But yeah, there's going to be something that. We're a little too comfortable in what we know, and and the and the stats element, just and and how close close they are means that we really don't know all we think we know, and there's no way for us to know because they're not going to tell us these secrets. And so it ends up. What's cool about it is it ends up in these pairings where you're like, where on earth did that come from? Like we're all sitting here going, oh, here's here's going to be the lineup that you know we're doing our little fantasy things, and we're like, oh, <laughs> Kepka Smith, what? Like no, none of us could possibly predict that, and I love that. I love Harmon Scheffler. Yeah, why not? Like that that absolutely could happen. 
And it's one of those things where after we're going, that made total sense, but nobody could uh, could possibly have thought of it. And, except you. And well, and this is the, the where the scenario planning is a, again a very different thing from 2014, where well, Tom Watson. I get. I can't. You can't tell the story enough. If Tom Watson says we're going to base the afternoon pairings off who plays well, and when Spieth <laughs> and Reed were six up, he benched them for the afternoon, and then couldn't relay. Like he panicked. And, except the guys who played a little too well. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you. It's a team game, guys. You're making your other teammates <laughs> like, look bad. Him, I could put him out there again, but that's just what they'd be expecting. <laughs> uh, so he, he sends uh, a 44-year-old Phil and Keegan back out for the afternoon and then panicked when they played bad and didn't send them out for the next morning four ball and then didn't want to send them out for the next morning four. So they end up sitting all day Saturday. There was no like downstream planning for past the first session. Maybe not even any planning for the first session because he didn't even want to put Spieth and Reed together, but that was a stricker pairing. But it, it goes to, like, there's there's a way different approach the U.S. at least has now for planning out how the different ways of, hey, if this goes well for these two guys in the morning, we may send them back out in the afternoon. And if it doesn't, here's the other plan, and here's how that's going to trickle down into Saturday as well versus just panic decision-making. Ricky and Jimmy Walker playing all four matches for some reason and winning none of them uh, in Glen Eagles in 2014. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it again, it's just so, so different. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. What do you guys, you guys worry about speed at all? Like, what do you think we're going to see? Habitually, perennially, you bet. Like, we're <laughs> always worried about speed. I get this question every week. For the last always worried. decade have never not been worried about speed. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what to expect, no. which is thrilling. But that's the great thing about Spieth is that, is that it's he's at his best when you're sort of mystified. Yeah, right? totally. If you if you expect something, if you expect something, the opposite will probably happen. But this is this is the sweet spot right now for Spieth where we're actually we have no idea. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him like like in whistling straights against the cliff, like making birdie with his back turned to the hole or something like playing it off like a reverse wind current. No, I don't know. I it's, it's the ultimate. It actually is a huge question, right? Can't you see him being paired with Thomas and everyone's eyes are on Thomas and they lose a match because speed just can't bring it at all. It's just like one of those things that is like absolutely in the cards. And it's total homerism with me. I, I've, I've seen it enough. One plus one equals three with JT and speed. It, there is a, a true team chemistry, a true enjoyment of playing together where they're just freed up and they totally let it fly and they have so much fun together. I had, I think again, as much as it's a total exhibition, watching them in the match run circles around Rory and Tiger, just like very, like putting on display what team chemistry looks like while the other yeah. two put on display what it doesn't look like. Any, any match play team you guys have ever played on in any handicapped event, like there's certain dudes, it doesn't matter your skill. It just a certain dudes that like, you totally vibe with and you feel comfortable. You talk about putts the same way. You talk about shots the same way. You have a certain faith in them. They've put that on display enough to say like, dude, that I, I think JT is put on this team to play with Jordan. And I think it makes the team better. I don't like even think about breaking them up for a foursome sessions. At least I know they tried to break them up in four ball with mixed, mixed success, but I think there's some kind of magic there and call me a, whatever you want to call me for that. I, that's one of those like floofy things that I actually believe in when it comes to the Ryder cup. Who, uh, who are you putting out first? If you're the U S team in foursomes, do they know that we know that they know, they know that we know <laughs> that, that they know that we know. I, I have an answer. If you want to, if you want to think through it, I think I'm look, so I'm looking at whistling straights right now. And obviously, you know, Thomas and Spieth were first out and they got the best team from Europe. 
I would still keep Cantley Shoffley in that anchor thing and that anchor spot and yeah. say, you know, come, come out and get us. And so I would almost, I'd almost run it back. I mean, I, I would think like, but then I also don't hate putting Thomas Spieth out in second or third. That's Just a little that's pressure off at. him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and say somebody like, you know, I don't know, Homa and, uh, who who who's like who do we think homeless pair would be like homeless perfect pair? I think Kawa probably. Yeah, yeah, like a homo more Kawa pair. They're like you know they're going to be tough as hell, and just like yeah, we trust you guys so much that we think you can go out and get that first point for us. I kind of like something like that, and then yeah, Thomas Spieth, like we know you guys are going to win. Go out in second and play some play like some scrubs from like East Poland or something. Whoever <laughs> you're throw out there. <laughs> my god <laughs> that's not true i know that's not reality but you, you know what i mean i think something to, something to be to think through just talking talking to max a little bit about you know the practice rounds and and going over there i i'm pretty sure that first tee is is a pretty natural three wood for most of these guys just with the way that bunker pinches in and i wonder if there is something to be said for like not putting a rookie out first to hit a a three wood like my mind goes to scotty and sam burns in that mm, in that first match but if it's max and and morikawa i think morikawa hits the first shot based on how things played out no you don't see it that way i don't think so but maybe my source is not good <laughs> <laughs> well if that's the case like the the better iron player is going to hit more approach like player a is going to hit more approach shots like whoever hits the first tee shot is going to hit more approach shots and player B will have like more birdie putts. If Jamie Kennedy's stats that I retweeted today, like pan out that way. So, yeah, I got a question for you guys. And this, this may just be something weird in my head, but I have a weird fear around Scotty Scheffler in this event. And I, it's not just his putting. It's a little bit what happened at the president's cup, but there's something about him that I'm like, and, and, and if I want reassurance, I go back to whistling straights when he actually did really well, but I, I just can't shake it. When I think of him, I'm like, I just don't think he's going to do well. Somehow. I just think he's not going to do well. It doesn't really make any sense, but I, I, I'm curious if, if this phobia is shared or if I'm just in a weird space, I feel like his floor is just so fucking high, right? That it's like, yeah, e even yeah. his, like his worst golf is, is so much better than most of the players that are even there. Right. And that, like, that's maybe that's a dr way too uh, dramatic of a way to say it, but I just, I feel like he's raised his floor so much that like he, he's going to be a average player at, at worst, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I see where you're coming from. It's still, you know, I, I still don't always trust it. And then it, we get to, you know, 4 PM on Sunday of a major. It's like, Oh, it, well, Scotty's what two back. Oh yeah. No, that kind of makes sense. I, if there's anything that I feel like the U S team is owed, like I use that term loosely in quotes of, of, in terms of something flipping is a season long trend, like totally flipping at the Ryder cup. How many fucking times has that happened with Europe of like, yeah. dude, Sergio hasn't made a putt yeah. all year long yeah. and he cannot miss yeah. at the Ryder cup or, uh, in, it just seems like I, if, if something is, is looking to flip a weird event where, maybe Scotty's putter gets hot. Like I could see that happening. I really could. And his demeanor, man, just, I, I just don't see the moment being too big at any point, or I don't see it. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm really not stressed about Scotty. And I think the, I think him, him, you know, he was very bad at quail hollow. Sam Burns was awesome at quail hollow. His record does not mm -hmm. reflect it, but I'm guessing we see that pairing in foursomes. And I, I expect to see some success from that team. I think, a morning foursomes for the U.S. I would guess Spieth, JT, Xander, Cantlay, Burns, Scheffler, and Max and Morikawa. That would be my guess for that that morning session. And I 
don't know where to guess on Europe. I feel like they're playing it really close to the chest. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with Rory. I mean, I know that's obvious. It's always interesting to see what they do with Rory, but I think Rory's kind of, and Shane, you probably have, you know, more insight on this too, but I think they've always kind of tried to have Rory be that rookie babysitter, right? And like, we're going to put you with the young guy and we're going to, you put him under your wing. And I don't know if that, you know, I was talking to kind of some people, some European people in the know, and they were kind of reading into that a little bit about like, yeah, every time they've done that, like, then Rory's not Rory. And what you really fucking need is Rory to be Rory. And so I, I almost wonder if they give him less of the Webb Simpson babysitting duty and and put him out with, you know, someone that's a little bit more like a Hatton or Lowry or someone, you know, someone like Lowry who's been there, been been there, done this. You know, he's played 10 of these things. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if they maybe just put him with a, less babysitter and more just like go fucking step on some throats and, and beat some people. I, I would agree, except that I think the Rory Ludwig thing could really easily happen. Like, yeah, I, I feel would, like Ludwig, would be awesome too. I feel like he's an exception. I do too. I, I always think of Rory Peters from 2016, which yeah. is like the classic exception to the rule, right? Where you have a guy who, you know, wasn't a Ryder Cup stalwart or anything like that. And, and in theory, put Rory in that similar position of like, oh, you've got to be his uncle. You know, you've got to be his babysitter. And they went out and they were unbelievable i mean they were they were just one of the one of the all-time pairings for those last three matches beating like kepka beating dustin johnson like they were so so good it, it is interesting you know paul mcginley almost called rory out on the golf channel the other day basically saying you have not found he has not found his form in the Ryder cup and his record shows it he's not one of the great european Ryder cup players and he probably should be he's pretty close to he's 500, exactly 500 exactly, or something. Yeah. he's exactly 500 yeah and so it, it it's Solving that riddle is a huge thing because you're like, oh, you're not going to put him with Rom, obviously. You know, you're not going to do something that drastic. And then you're like, oh, should you be hesitant to put him with Aberg? Is it a personality thing? But what is it that makes him feel secure and lets him go out and be himself? And it, again, looking back to history, he's played with Sergio Garcia. He's been good. He's played with Poulter a bunch. He's not really been that good with Poulter. He played with Peters. He was great with Peters. What is it about P is it because Peters was so skilled, you know, at least in that time and place? And and could Aberg bring the same set of skills to the table? Is there, even though Aberg's young and a rookie, is there a security blanket element to that pairing? I don't have the answer to that. And it, it's it's gotta be one of Luke Donald's biggest puzzles. And it's the kind of puzzle where you're like, if you don't solve it, you're probably gonna lose the Ryder Cup, right? It, this is gonna be so tight that all your little mark, you can't afford to have Rory play bad. Uh, just like whistling straights, like Rory and Rom had to be, you know, absolute perfection for them, even to have a shot. And Rory was terrible and you got blown out. It's the same thing here, even with home field advantage. And again, like if you if we all did a podcast or when you guys do your podcast Monday, I feel like that's going to be a big thing you're talking about. Either they did or they didn't solve the Rory conundrum. Yeah. As an American fan, I you, you throw Rory Ludwig and Hovland Fleetwood out as two pairings. I'm, I'm a little worried about that like that's that's stout that's 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 looking really good and then I, then you're i think any combo any combo of those four yeah. is fun to me you know what i mean i think i think uh hovland and ludwig is really cool i think fleetwood and Yud ludwig is really cool i think i love those combos i i just rory and hatton is in my head for some reason but i i don't know i don't know why can we get to a couple quite i always send a request for questions and we always get chatty 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 and and don't get to a lot of them um can we get to a few um this is from friend of the program jim hartzell uh favorite for the nicholas jacklin award Oof. 
This is the Nicholas Jackson. I've received a million emails about it. It's like the best sports drunkest player. Right? That's what DJ got. Plastic uh, <laughs> <laughs> <six> straights. <laughs> oh no! Man. My my favorite my favorite would be like Victor Hovland. You know what a what a gentleman. Uh, Victor Hovland is always. I I did an interview with him and Colin Morikawa and. Uh, oh man, this is late night in Italy. What, what's the guy? Oh, Wolf. Well, Matthew yeah. Wolf uh, at the Players Championship the year before COVID when they were all rookies, and it was funny comparing the different personalities. Like Wolf was the one they all called immature, and you're know, like you could kind of look at what's happened since and be like, oh, you know, it kind of makes that trajectory makes sense. Morikawa was the very serious one, but like Victor Hovland was the one with total charisma. And I just think everybody loves him who watches him. Uh, and I think he just kind of gives off this aura of that just makes you feel good. So I'll give it to him. He's You're just taking this way himself. too seriously. All right. There's nobody knows. <laughs> I, yeah, nobody yeah, knows what this award long. is. Right. They gave it to Dustin freaking Johnson last time around. So uh, his, his interview. I actually, I actually have 10 more minutes on that. Song, <laughs> you know, I was hoping you'd ask me this. That, that, that works out great. Yeah. Uh, I just want to get this one in at NR underscore eight. How do they decide which ball they play with in foursomes uh, when players play different brands? I don't think people are aware of this. And I, I was not really aware of this until relatively recently, maybe even the last Ryder cup. You can choose whatever you, ball you want on each hole to put into play. Right. So on the tee, on the right? tee. So yeah. yeah, you don't have to alternate holes. You don't have to stick with one ball. What you'll see is guys will play the ball that uh, whoever's going to be hitting the approach shot is likely the ball they're going to choose on the tee because guys are fine to kind of drive with whatever, but they want to know their distance control with their own golf ball. And I don't see that really in the modern day Ryder Cup as being a hindrance to many pairings or, or that much thought going into it. For the record, it's kind of new, and I don't have the date on it, but it, oh, it wasn't always the yes. case. Like It used to be that you had to choose a ball for the whole match, but I, I don't know when that changed. I think you could. Like I remember 91, there was the big kerfuffle with uh, Jose Maria right, and all that, exactly. but you had to alternate it, right? You had to, if you if you teed off with a 90 compression ball off one, that had to go off all the odd holes. If you did 100 compression, that had to go off all the even oh, holes. Okay. And But okay. now it's okay. you can put whatever ball you want on the tee. Obviously, you can't change it out during the course of the hole, but... Um, but that that's just noting Robert Winden says, is it really too hilly for guys to go five sessions or is this game and shit by captain Donald? I think someone on Europe is going to have to go five. I think so too. I thought whistling was too much for guys to go five and, and a couple guys did it. Um, I, I don't know if anybody on the American side will, but I, I think someone on Europe, one or two guys from Europe will kind of have to. This goes back to taking the early lead because we yeah, remember, yep, you know, yep. the guys who had to go five for Europe did not fare well. Yeah. Uh, you know, remember, everybody was like, oh, Rom's going to kill Scheffler. It's like, no, he's not. Yeah. There's a long history of people having to carry the load and then just dying in singles. Yeah. That's a good point. That's where I think, like, I, I, I think back to the depth of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team is where they just, I think they were always going to win that, but where they annihilated them was the depth and what, what, what I think a lot of people think of when they think of depth is just the bottom guys winning matches when in reality it's getting your top guys rest is one thing and yeah. taking so much pressure off your top guys. Like, dude, it is gotta be such a mountain for some of these top guys on teams that don't have depth to like think like, dude, if I don't go like four Oh and one, like we might be in trouble. That is a mount of pressure that like almost, I mean the team with depth wins this thing almost every time. I mean the 2018 us or, uh, you know, European Ryder Cup team was freaking deep. Like they, they got contributions down the board from everyone. And I think that's where like, you know, if Europe's going to win this thing, it's got to be really, really good from the Rose Lowry McIntyre, um, Nikolai Hoygaard group, which we haven't really even talked about him. So 
Can I can I ask you guys a question? We've had a lot of very reasonable takes on this okay. podcast. Uh, just Uh-oh. just give me some eye test. Give me some gut romantic stuff here. You know, let's say it's tie game going into singles. You want it all to come down to to the last match. Who are you putting out last for each team? Mm. Well, DJ <laughs> pushing my nerd glasses up as we saw in the Solheim Cup and as we've seen over and over. Oh, you don't give me the, the last hide. match. Never matters. Matter. Whatever you want to uh, hide, you should put in the last match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you if you ask me the decisive match, no, yeah, I, I I take your point. Here's who I want in the decisive match. I want if I am the U.S. Let's see. I'm just looking at the team here. I just want to make sure I have an informed opinion. I think I want. Hmm. Man, I'm going to go back on what I just said. I, I think I want Patrick Cantley. I, I don't know. It's almost painful to say this, but I watched him at, at like at Whistling Straits. Um, not only play really well with with Xander, of course, but playing against Shane Lowry. Uh, and they came after at, at the at the turn. Padre Harrington was standing. You guys remember? There's like that area that overlooks yeah. everything where you make the turn. And uh, first of all, Cantley came just marching, looking like he wanted to murder somebody. And Shane Lowry came after him. And I think it was only one or two down at the time and just looks at Harrington and goes, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like, like he was just so thoroughly beat by this guy. You know, it was just one of those things. I think, I think in terms of like, you know, he's your biggest psychopath. And I mean that as a compliment, like Cantley is a guy. I'm calling who, him Patty ice. Shane. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm calling him Patty ice. I, I a little bit am like, I mean, you could say Scheffler, you could say all that stuff, but in terms of a guy who's like has the crazy mentality, um, you know, I, I like him. Like if it was a pairs match, I would say Justin Thomas, but I think I'm going to say uh, Pat Cantley for him for them. And I think uh, you know John Rahm is the obvious choice. Yeah. Uh, no need to think about that one for the Euros. I, I'm going to I'm going to do this as like a predictory uh, thing in terms of uh, it's going to depend on the momentum of the week, right? Like you're going to if if we're, if we're trying to put you're, some, you know no, the spirit of the no, question I'm asking. No, but I'm going to get there. I'm getting there. I'm saying I think Max Homa has a really good week and plays himself into that role, right? Like yeah. I, as we're sitting right here, I don't know if that's the case, but like I think that he has a chance to be that guy, that just total fu guy that uh, is riding a wave of momentum and, and to play that role. I mean, four and zero with the Presidents Cup like drain the putt that he needed to on the 18th green. Like, I think he's made for shit like this and I hate that corny stuff. I know he's our friend, but like, that's, that's how I feel. I love that. That's exciting. Uh, man, you're kind of talking me into that one. I think Ricky, I like Ricky it gets a look just purely from a like temperament standpoint. I feel like he's a guy. Lack of just- thuggish jingoism this go around though. <laughs> I mean, you know, like he's not shaved USA inside of his head. He's, you know, we've left Sam that Burns, Sam then, Burns. Maybe. Sam Burns gets that spot. Sam Sideburns might be your guy. Uh, I think people what are I- underplaying Sam Burns. I'll say that part too. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it kind of snuck up on all of us that pick, but again, I think back to how good he was um, at, at Quail Hollow. And I think he is again, kind of really fits the format of this event. I mean, he won the WGC, right? Like, that's not nothing. I mean, the guy literally won the, the singles match play. You want this guy? Shane wants Kisner on the team now. I can see this coming from a mile away. I put together. I, I still, I still regret that from 2021. <laughs> I still, I still have bad dreams about that take. Uh, I, I put together a very small stats quiz. Should we, should we wrap up with that? Because we still got to do a whole other show on uh, Thursday night. And so Shane's got to get some sleep at some point. So I think we exactly. can, we can kind of wrap with that. Let, let me hit you guys with this one just because I, I know how much you guys like the Ryder Cup. Uh, I'll, I'll try to make these as... as uh, are you directing them at the group or individually at us? Uh, these are at the group. You guys okay. can work together. Okay. Okay. It's uh, a best ball. This is, this is a best ball. That's exactly right. Just fire at the pin. 
Uh, we're going to start really easy. Most overall matches played for both sides. They both have played 47 matches. Uh, your answers, please. Phil and Sergio. Half right. Uh, yeah, it's got to be Phil. Most overall matches played for the Euros. Is it Faldo? It's Lee Westwood. Oh. I did not realize that. That that was that was a surprise to me. Uh, let's do most overall matches won on either side. Lanny Watkins oh, and Sergio. Sergio is the correct answer for Europe. He's won twenty five matches, twenty five individual matches. That's so many wins. That does not like obviously doesn't include halves. I mean that's that's so a many ton of wins. Uh, and the other one is not it's Lanny not Watkins. Lanny, it's not Lanny Watkins. He's won twenty two matches. Lenny Watson's been 22. Um, <laughs> this is where it gets into embarrassing because I'm like, I absolutely know this because I've looked at this Wikipedia page over and over. Uh, you've probably I been on his Wikipedia page. His his nephew, Ryan Palmer, plays on the PGA Tour. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Arnie. Yeah. Okay. I'll All take right. it. Thanks. That's the, that's uh, the whole era. Not gonna, that's not yeah, the Ryder Cup era. Come I'm, on. Of course. Sure. I'm, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't count. Right. He was just beating. Yeah. Uh, now let's do most overall matches lost. Uh, 22 on the United States side. Phil. <laughs> big yeah that's a layup for you guys i know that yeah uh i'm, I'm just gonna give you these in the in the spirit of time here neil coles and christy o'connor uh have each lost 21 times on the christy o'connor was an underrated terrible player he <laughs> made one of the biggest shots in Ryder cup history to actually win a Ryder cup first team but it was like one in nine or something to that point <laughs> or oh and nine before he hit that i think he uh has lost in singles like he's gotten beaten singles 10 times <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wanted to make a special. It's so a special hard to, to make that many teams and get beat yeah. that many times. And just but if you Google him, it'll be like, here's the amazing time Christy O'Connor won the Ryder Cup for Europe because he did it once when yeah. That's exactly right. So uh put it just to put that 10 losses into perspective, we're gonna do most singles wins. So it's an eight-way tie, four from each side. Four people on each side have have won singles six times. Just to reiterate, Christy O'Connor got beat ten times. <laughs> Monty <laughs> for sure. Monty is one. I'm still going with Christy O'Connor on this one. Uh, it is not. No, he, he I feel not. like, no, I feel like Poulter has to be tied. With Poulter Monty, is right? too. Sergio. Um, Sergio is not on the list. The other two Europeans, both are CBS affiliates. Ian Baker. No, um, uh, Faldo. Um, Faldo's one. Another guy who was on CBS for a long time, but is no longer. Is that Lanny Watkins? Uh, this is for the Euros. Oh, just right? Euros. God, I'm trying to I'm trying to shoehorn Lanny Watkins into this really hard. Peter Osterhaus. <laughs> oh, wouldn't have gotten there. Oh, yeah, right, just, right, right. Well, I'll just give you that one. Uh, four U.S. Americans, old guys. I'll just uh, give you a head Tiger head. only. Tiger only won four, so it can't be Tiger. Um, so it's more than it's got to be more so than like four. Arnie. Like, like, are, Arnie's one. Like Ben Hogan, maybe like not on there. Jack. Lee Trevino, Billy Casper, and Sam Snead. Sneed. All right. Uh, Largest. We're, kill, we're killing it. Solid. You guys are. You guys are. Yeah. No, guys I don't. I don't recognize uh, the the GBNI era. Like I, the Ryder Cup started when Shane Ryan's podcast started, which is in the late seventies. <laughs> started in eighty three. That's right. Uh, largest singles margin of victory. So I, I'm not going to have you guess this one. Ooh. This is more just for for trivia. The U.S. has had two singles matches that they've won eight and seven. The Europeans have never won a singles match more than five and four. They've done that 11 times. How about that? Just something, to, something to keep under the hat. I think you can get this one. Players to go 5-0-0. Oh, oh. You know this one? Go ahead. 
So you got Lanny Watkins first. Nope. Then <laughs> Larry, Nelson. Nelson. I'm sorry, Larry, Larry Nelson. Nelson. Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson. Right, right, right. Of course, you have DJ. Of course. Uh, Molinari. And okay, in the current format, I think so there's that's four on all. the U.S. side. And there's so one on the European side. This is going back in the day, man. This is going back in the day. Molinari, the only person to ever do it from Europe. Molinari, the only one in the modern era, and the only area we recognize, Sully. It's only yeah. it's only Larry well, Nelson and that's uh, right. DJ. And in, in the before the modern era, in 1967, both Gardner Dickinson and Arnold Palmer went five zero mm. and zero. Just a fun note: Gardner Dickinson and Larry Nelson both rookies when they went five zero and zero. So huh? watch out for that. And then the last one I got on here: oldest rookie. I just thought you'd get a, a kick out of this one. Here, Sally. Was he American or European? Uh, well, I got both. Ted Ray is okay. kind of a technicality. 1927. <laughs> uh, I guess everybody was kind of a rookie, but he was 50 yep. years old. Is it uh, Scott oldest, Hoke? It, it's not. Close. Kind Fred Funk. Fred Funk. Fred, that's exactly yep. right. Yep. Nice. I mean, it's very nice. 2004, he was, very nice. he was 48 years old. That's all I got. I was perusing the media guide for a while. That's good stuff. That's fun. I think that's pretty close to to the end. I mean, I could do an hour and a half of this every single day this week if you guys wanted to, but uh, we got to go travel uh, tomorrow and meet up with Shane and have some wine and some pasta and uh, enjoy the best yes. week of the year. It's I I'm so excited. It's just now hitting me that we're going to be at a Ryder Cup in Rome, and uh, I hope it's I hope it's close. I really hope it's close. I think it is destined to be a close Ryder Cup. It has to be. Are we doing predictions yet, or are we still sure. waiting? I'm, I'm staying with mine, 15 and a half, 12 and a half United States, which is closer than I think people think it sounds. Uh, that is that is close. I'll, I'll just go extra close, 14 and a half, 13 and a half U.S. I'll split the difference between you fellas, 15, 13 U.S. Homerism, also. American <laughs> exceptionalism. No, no, it's, good, it's a big deal. It's a, It takes courage to predict the U.S. to win on the road right. because it is, the, it is the hardest feat. This is not just We're like soldiers. Jingoism, this this isn't like ship knock, like firing it off and getting yelled at by Rory later. This is like really like some hard thought goes into this, right? We're brave. That's We're right. Brave people. Hell yeah. Ask me how I feel halfway through the first session too, because there's the, always that wave. We're just like, Oh shit. I forgot about the chance. Can I just say I have so much respect for how Europe can have a Ryder cup every four years. And it's in a different country and the organization of all of the cheering and chanting and, just like a total approach. Like the U.S. fan approach is just to yell at the other team and harass them and give them, as Lowry would say, the dog's abuse. And Europe has a way of actually cheering on their team that I have so much respect for and cannot fathom how it all comes together. It really is remarkable. I think it honestly makes a difference in the competition. I think they're, they're all in a big group text. It I must be. They'll decide what they're going to say. It's a boys club. It's a huge boys club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, that's a wrap for this, Shane. Thank you so much for joining us. It's almost 1 a.m. in Italy as you are calling in. Uh, can't wait to get over there. Can't wait to see you and uh, watch our favorite sporting event. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 